And welcome to another episode of Everything Athletes. I'm your host, Kim Cardici, former Division I swimmer and existential thinker. I am so excited for today's episode because we have a special guest, Carrie Moore, who is well-versed in a topic that I believe affects most, if not all, athletes, and that is perfectionism. Carrie is amazing. She's a licensed clinical social worker and founder of A Good Place Therapy based in New York City. I will include links in the show notes to her website, as well as her amazing article about perfectionism's dark side. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. And before we dive into the work that you're currently doing in your practice and your expertise, I'd love for you to just share your own experience with sports and how that shaped who you are today. I, I believe you were a swimmer growing up. I, I was, and so that's what also intrigued me about your your background when I learned of you. I grew up swimming. I think um, my my parents had us in a lot of different sports and trying out of different things, kind of growing up to see what what would stick. And I think just being on the shyer side as a child, I didn't like team sports. I felt like it was too much attention and too much pressure and responsibility to have to not just like do something for yourself, but be so um, a part of a team, you know, working towards a goal. And so I think um, what initially drew me to swimming was like, it was something I could just do on my own and, um, you know, kind of almost have like a very private enclosed experience, like when you are in, you know, in the pool and in the water. And um, I think I didn't know it at the time, but I also think it was like meditative in a lot of ways and, um, and uh, just was, thrilled to kind of find something that, you know, I love to do. So it was like the easy thing to stick to because of that. So I had, um, I have, I have a twin sister who had Christy who had started, I think she was the first person to, to join the swim team. I think it was a YMCA team when we were in middle school. Um, so she was doing it for a couple of weeks and then I kind of like, um, you know, jumped on, on board and joined her. And then, um, we never stopped through, pretty much like every season would be on one team or another, which I think is probably common for a lot of swimmers. Mm -hmm. Like we were on the, the USS and the YMCA. And then, and then of course, like our high school team. And then my sister and I um, served as captain, co-captains of our high school team. So that was oh, cool. really fun. Um, I think it kind of gave me like, a, you know, it gave me a sense of responsibility uh, and, you know, what, it, it, and also an idea of like what leadership felt like. And I remember it being really hard because I just wanted to be a kid too and to have fun in the fun moments. And then I remember like the, this like key point when I realized that I had a different responsibility when um, everyone on the, on the bus was chanting that they wanted to go to this pizza shop instead of this place that we were going to go. And then um, I wanted so bad to chant along and I, <laughs> I couldn't because I had to be responsible. So I think, it, I think it was very good. Um, yeah. Just like, just in terms of like me seeing, seeing myself in leadership and having this like greater responsibility. Um, so yeah. And then just, I, I think um, learning a lot about myself and what I was capable of and um, having something to, to work towards and to improve upon and, and get, get better at and also like represent the school so I think those are, are definitely the ways that, um, you know, that, that it was, you know, part of who I was and helped shape me. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I think that it's interesting with swimming as a sport. And I'd be curious if anyone has actually conducted data or research on super hyperactive kids that just drop into the element of the water and just, like you said, find that meditative state. I know, obviously, Michael Phelps being one of the most famous swimmers, Mm -hmm. he had ADHD. And I guess swimming was his outlet to just burn through all all that energy and put his focus to something. So it's interesting. Swimming as a sport can be very therapeutic for kids with a bunch of energy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Just because, you know, water is soothing you know, just like the element of water and even your, your zoom background with your brand colors. Like I could see the, you know, the waves and like the different blues and what that evokes is like a calm. And I really think that it was for me. And I think water is that for me and, um, and anxiety is in the body. You know, one thing I'm always talking to my clients Hmm. about is that, um, you know, anxiety, when we actually look at the DSM definition, it's more physical than it is psychological. Hmm. So there, there are Interesting. Like, yeah, two, two factors that are, you know, psychological and everything else is like physical sensations and what you're feeling. And it, it comes from, you know, our, you know, our belief in like our worry basically, or kind of ruminating in, which is like worrying about something that happened in the past or like fearing something in the future. Um, and it can be really existential or, um, you know, really something concrete but it is like our, our body kind of responding to the need, you know, to um, stay alive, stay safe in whatever that danger might be. So it's, you know, purely that, that perception um, that we have that we're kind of like disconnected from in that moment that we're feeling it because we can't access, you know, the, the cognitive yeah. part of our brains, it's all happening so quickly. And so I think um, as a child and running on the anxious side and, you know, I kind of identify as like a, you know, kind of neurotic in my nature a little bit. And I think I've been that way my whole life, although I didn't know it at the time. I think it was um, really something that was, you know, that kind of responded to that, that answered to that, that helped me kind of like move my body in the way I needed to move my body, but also kind of like be, feel calmness in the water. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Share with us about a good place therapy. You're the founder, you're the director, you're also a therapist there. Tell us about your practice. Yeah. So I, um, so I, I, I became a social worker, um, and about uh, over 20 years ago. So I've been in the field for a very long time. I I came to New York from Minnesota to go to graduate school at Columbia. And I always had my, um, kind of sight set on the bigger picture because I was, because I was, and I am, you know, very, um, very kind of politically oriented in nature. I'm always kind of looking at, um, you know, the, the problems that, that we face as individuals, like in the context of our bigger environment. And so when I went to social work school, it wasn't, it wasn't to, I wasn't thinking of myself as a clinician or to work individually with people, but more um, about how to kind of, you know, really be a part of like systems change and, um, you know, creating responses to, you know, systems level and community um, needs. And so I, and I really enjoyed doing that, uh, working on those levels in organizations and nonprofit um, leadership roles and community health setting roles, um, overseeing, you know, clinical social work teams as a part of like, you know, wider milieus of, of different professionals kind of all working together, um, you know, to respond to, to um, needs of communities, needs and then the needs of the individuals, you know, in the community. And I really love that. Um, and I, I continue to kind of grow in my leadership. 
but it started to um, not align fully with what I wanted for myself or what I thought was um, best for me. And um, it, and then I, I realized I had some um, more in, deeply embedded beliefs that it that being a clinician was going to be a selfish thing or not not worthy of of my time or um, that I was going to be giving up like causes uh, that that really mattered to me or even like give up on you know populations of people that I, I always felt like close um, you know to in my heart to service um, you know to you know service of and with um, so I had to kind of uh, allow that to be challenged. I think when I stepped into becoming a clinician full-time and um, growing my my private practice, and then uh, once I did that, I felt like it was like a liberation from this belief system that um, my, my value was somehow connected to who I was uh, in the outside world and what I was doing. And um, that's like the piece of perfectionism that I think I identify with is just like the doer, like, the, like you know, this this thing of like, I'm, I'm only of value through like, the, my my service to others in in what I'm doing mm. in the world and it has to like be something that's making this big impact and be very mission driven and you know solve community problems and it kind of goes back to all of that so I think even the nature of my becoming a therapist and deciding to to really make that big pivot in my career was um, a challenge to some of those beliefs that kind of weren't serving me and then um and then over time in that was six years ago that i started my practice so i've been now um you know in the practice of it and um it's been you know just constant challenging when some of those thoughts come up um as well as like you know making sure i am connected to things that matter to me in broader levels both in how i run my practice as well as like a volunteer service and um you know how i'm, I'm like you know engaged in certain you know, discussions about things that matter to me. So I think um, that that was, you know, a whole process in and of itself kind of uh, pivoting and then evolving into what it is today. So um, I started off in private practice, you know, for myself and, and I really loved doing that. Um, but then I did also miss uh, leading teams. I missed um, the ability to, you know, make change on broader levels. And I thought we could, you know, I could really do this, um, having a group practice and having people on the team. And then uh, serendipitously, people started, um, it would, you know, like my first hire, um, Heather, who I worked with in a former organization, had, had been doing some private practice coaching with her, um, but she um, had other priorities in her life and didn't start her private practice and then wanted to, um, you know, come work for, you know, my practice. And I was already thinking about starting it. So it seemed like a, a good idea and a good way to get started. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was very intuitive about it because I, I had this, you know, I was kind of thinking, do I want to take on the responsibility? Do I, do I want to, um, you know, grow in that direction uh, that I had a dream about um, having a group practice? And I woke up just feeling really like content and, and happy about that, like a sense of peace and excitement. Mm -hmm. And then I isn't it amazing? Sorry, not to interrupt you, but isn't Go it amazing ahead. how your physiological response to things that happened in your life can tell you so much more about those events than the thoughts you have about them? Abs absolutely. And and I, I it's always a process for me leaning into that and trusting my intuition on those things. And that's why even though it feels like the the you know hippiest, dippiest thing to say that it came to me in a dream, I want to make an effort i want to make a point to talk about it uh -huh. because i think it is important to, to give um you know value to the things that kind of come to us that way and to trust what you feel 
mm-hmm. about it. And I, and I did that when I woke up and I had in the inbox an email from somebody who didn't end up hiring, but she was um, looking for a job in a private practice and she liked what she saw about, you know, a good place. And, and I thought, this is just the sign, you know, I kind of needed like the permission also I needed to give myself. So it was like between that and then um, Heather, um, you know, approaching me and making that decision that she would rather, um, you know, work in private practice and uh, just worry about seeing clients instead of like building her own um, and, and do, you know, all the other things that her are her priorities raising her family and working this amazing full-time job that she has um so that it kind of you know started from there and grew uh, into a group practice from there now we have um, 20 therapists on the team in new york wow. and um, most recently we just o- opened up an office in san francisco as well and to have a small team there where we've kind of been um kind of in this process of like really soft opening and um, we're going to be launching our updated website to um, include, you know, the San Francisco practice and, um, you know, more, you know, put it out there more when we, when Uh we launch that, that website. So we're in the process of, we have a couple um, New York transplants um, that are located there now um, and they work with both and license in both places work with both. And then we have um, in starting in June and then our next hire in August, like our full-time California people. So that's also pretty, pretty exciting right now. Congratulations. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you for you and your 20 now plus therapists doing the work you do. It's so needed. You're helping so many people. So not that I can speak on behalf of anyone, but thank you for the work that you do. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about the article you wrote drawing the parallels between Japanese culture and perfectionism because I just thought that article was amazing. It was so spot on. It was a perfect analogy. Did you actually visit Japan? Is that where you were inspired to write that? I did visit Japan and I wrote, I think I wrote that article like right when I got home and, and then I, um, I brought it to my friend, Tracy Rubel, who actually, um, who actually published Psych Magazine and now uh, it's not, she's not actively publishing on it. Um, but I'm glad that it's there and, and I really think she should start it back up because it's so, so amazing. It was like the <laughs> yeah. perfect place to write that article and like some of those reflections. Um, but I, uh, went to Japan and I was so just fascinated with the culture and with the, um, the appearance of perfection, you know, in the culture. And it's, and it's also like this dedication and this like intentional approach to everything. And I loved um, some aspects of how every little thing matters and Mm -hmm. like everything um, could just be, you know, a moment in somebody's life that, you know, makes it better if it's like that um, perfectly crafted, you know, latte, for example. Um, but I, I noticed it in, in so many parts of the culture, uh, just in terms of like how you would even experience dinner at a steakhouse where <laughs> we, we, we were out. Um, and of course, they like, they do this thing where they like weigh the steak in front of you. And they're um, really, I think it was like maybe one of the only things even on the menu because they do that one thing really well. Huh. Um, so specialized. And I'm not a person who's like considers myself specialized. And I, more of a generalist because um, I'm always like into so many different things and love that. So I think there's a part of me that really admires and respects people who um, really kind of hone their craft and and take that time to become so specialized. Loved that about the culture. In talking to our our friends, our Japanese friend who was showing us around, um, I also kind of learned about some of the downsides of what, you know, the appearance of that is. 
Um, and then that was, you know, um, kind of heartbreaking to hear about some of it, mm -hmm. like the um, daily suicides on the trains. And, um, the, you know, we've heard about uh, the suicide forest. You know, what, what I saw is like maybe um, some constraints in general population for people in terms of um, expressing themselves and their indi individuality and like what might be there for a lot of people um, who are, um, you know, high achievers who are just expected to perform um, and might not have any room for, you know, the full expression of their humanity or even to be to feel stress or to take a break if they want to, um, that there's like a lot of those um, expectations and just demands in the culture. Um, and then, you know, later learned that um, in, J in Japan also, they don't have like a fully realized, um, you know, mental health system. And so in, in many ways, um, I just imagined that there are people that are are suffering with um, the the feeling of the need to kind of keep up with with all of these um, really un, unrealistic, you know, expectations of perfection. Yeah. So I, I saw it there. I loved it. I, I mean, I loved these aspects of it. I was fascinated. I was enamored <laughs> um, with it. And then I also um, it just made me reflect on, uh, you know, what some of the you know, you know, the title of the article is the dark side, but some of the, mm -hmm. the, the drawbacks were in some of the, the ways that, 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 um, that striving towards those ideals and like that, that appearance of that can actually be harmful to us. Yeah. And I think any athlete that is listening to this can probably relate to every characteristic you're describing about Japan with the attention to detail, the aim for perfection, everything has to be no errors, no mistakes, win the gold medal, be perfect. And then, like mm -hmm. you said, there's very little room to express yourself if, if you are having a hard time or you're struggling because you lost the championship, which maybe the prize money was $1.5 million or whatever it happens to be. If you're struggling in those moments, it's hard to have an avenue to express that because that expression is not welcome. And then just like you said too, there's no system in place to kind of have a protocol to manage those tough moments when they come up. So that's what I found fascinating about your article. Cause I, everything I do is from the athlete lens. And I just thought, wow, if, if athletes were a country, they would be Japan. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think so. Especially with, um, you know, the, the athletes said, that you um, grew up around and were surrounded by in college, I assume just being a division one swimmer, mm -hmm. you know, that, that really, that, that is so um, perfectionism and the striving towards these ideals and the really honing that, that craft or that technique until, you know, it, it's right um, is really baked in to the culture, you know, yeah, baked into all of our expectations. And it made me curious about your um, interest in the subject of perfectionism. And if you, you know, relate to that, if you saw that in yourself, or if you even knew what yeah. it was when, when you, when you were kind of working hard towards your goals, if you identified with that. Yeah, absolutely. And even today, it's something I try to balance and navigate through because the perfectionism, black and white thinking has been ingrained in me for so long. And I think a lot of athletes also relate because modern sports in America, you play when you're five years old, six years old, if you go play in college, that's basically 75% of your life that you've been taught to not make errors, be perfect, win. It's just American culture. Athletes mm -hmm. want to win. So 
trying to navigate that conditioning of no room for error, no room to be human, really, Mm -hmm. it's hard to undo those wires and say, okay, I'm going to be compassionate with myself. If I make a mistake, I'm going to actually love on myself even more because I need it most right now. Or if I forgot to fulfill a favor that a friend asked me to do, like, how can I not have such a critical inner talk track and practice that self-beration? And how can I actually say, okay, well, I'm not perfect. That's perfectly okay. I'm a human being. I'm not this Mm -hmm. robot athlete. It's okay that I make mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think I'll work on for a while because it's been so deeply rooted from the most transformative years of my life. It's I've been conditioned to be the perfect, all achieving, winning student athlete. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, um, I think that you're, you call your, you refer to yourself as an existential thinker. And so I I can see that you do um, really value kind of taking that step back, you know, looking at, looking at the bigger picture and saying, um, you know, am I um, good? Am I a good person? Or do, do I have worth or value because of this? Or is this something I do that, that I'm really striving to, to be well, to, to do well, but it's just something I do. You know, I think like Uh perfectionism settles in when we make it, when we make these like achievements, we make that um, gold medal, you know, about who we are, you know, some fundamental way. So to, to be binary would be like win or lose and gold medal, or you're not earning a medal, right. Or you're not like Mm -hmm. scoring points, you know, for the team. Um, And then it's like, then there's, there's no value. I'm worthless. I suck at this. You know, it kind of goes into those like very binary thinking patterns, like in, in, in many ways, it's not about what, who you are, or that's because you're somehow flawed because you have that belief system or you attach it to yourself, but it is also like, so baked in culturally, like it's kind of in the system it's in the institution. It's, it's in our, Mm -hmm. um, our culture overall, you know, in, in the U S you know, it's, it's important for people to also know it's not just about them and something flawed with them because they have that in, that negative dialogue or that, that um, you know, constant striving. Yeah. And I think like awareness is so important. I think once athletes retire, because honestly, I don't think there's an alternative to base your self-worth on external validation as an athlete, because that's just sports. You can't argue with the stopwatch. It's you won, you lost. You can't argue with like the first place, second place, third place, the structure of sports is so clear cut and defined it. There's kind of no other route or option than to have that binary. Okay. Good, bad thinking. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of thoughts that I've been doing and research I've been doing, especially with perfectionism is just growing your awareness that that was the sports world that you're in, which is fine Mm -hmm. in sports. Perfectionism is a blessing sometimes when you're standing atop the podium. Perfectionism is your best friend because that's what got you there and pushed you to achieve that intense level of detail. But then transitioning from that into just human adult life, growing your awareness that, okay, that was sports. Human adult life is a lot more gray area. I mean, Mm -hmm. I even think about the legal profession. Like, is the legal profession not, it it exists to navigate gray area. There's an entire industry to navigate complex matters, ethics. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's like, okay, just having that awareness that, okay, that's sports. That was just that world. 
now I'm in this new non-athlete life, just growing your awareness that there is more non-binary, yes, no, right, wrong is half the battle. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think, I think absolutely. And I think with swimming, especially too, you're, it's literally you, you against the clock, right? And you always know, you always know where, where you should look at the, even the language I'm using, like thinking yeah. back to those days, it's like where you should be. And so I just remember it being a constant, like self punishing inner dialogue that would happen when I would look up at that clock and be shocked. Mm-hmm. And you could be, you know, first place and then look up at the clock and be disappointed. You know, being in, in high school, it was so fortunate to have such a, just an amazing team. My sister, they're supportive parents, like loving coach, uh, loving coaches. Um, but at the same time, it is it can be so self-punishing because it's like you and the clock and you always have this idea of like where you should stand. You mm-hmm. know, I think I think sometimes I even, I mean, I still do it, which sounds so silly, even on my Peloton, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm so addicted to the clock. Like, I think I just love the metrics. I don't know if it comes from that those days and swimming where I just kind of like the certainty of knowing, you know, where I am and where I stand. But, um, but there can be just a lot of variety from day to day because of, um, you know, we, we just can't always know all the things that are affecting our, our performance, like our energy, um, what it is we ate, uh, how we feel, um, how hard we might have worked the, the day before or not at all. I mean, there's a lot of different things. So we have to be able to, like, just give ourselves grace mm-hmm. and let, let go because there's so many unknowns that, that affect that, that impact that performance. Yeah. And so in your work, I know you, you work with a lot of high achieving professionals that may struggle with perfectionism and not feeling like enough. What observations have you seen maybe across different clients? What do you see? Mm -hmm. What are, what are some tips or advice that you give to kind of manage this perfectionist mindset and help have more of a balance and self-compassion? Well, I think it's um, kind of it starts with helping people see the bigger picture, and um, and really start to understand what informs their ideas of what they need to be or what they need to accomplish. Because there are so many just unconscious things and things that we're completely unaware of that shape that belief system. And I think it's, it's really important for people just to kind of get that practice and seeing, um, you know, their attachment to certain to certain things and like asking themselves why and just being kind of curious about it and what it means about them and also to be um, asking themselves like well what what are the things that are more most important to me in an intrinsic way and um, how do I then learn to let those things about me be my compass and really um, be that inner structure to guide me and how I make decisions and like how I live live my life um, and kind of like just be able to go back to that and, and just allow themselves to be guided by that. And then when you start to do that and kind of churn even like some of those values into like actionable um, things you would do even like verbs, like how does this like show up and translate to your life, then you can also um, develop more awareness and you can learn a lot about um, the messages that that you got that, that really, um, really reinforce that uh, vicious cycle of the perfectionism and the perfectionistic striving. So one thing um, when I'm doing that work with clients is we will talk um, a lot about, well, how do like, for example, sometimes it might be um, a very dominant parent who is very influential and that voice is coming up. Hmm. And then that, that voice is 
so present and it's not even um, thought about as something that you wouldn't you wouldn't do or you wouldn't live your life that way you wouldn't have and hold that same exact value so there can be a lot of value for that individual to really explore well i'm an adult now and i'm living my own life so what what about that message i got that was so strong what about that life you know my dad um lived and showed me do i want to take with me and do i really want to really um continue to kind of be on my road map as i build my life um, what's helpful. And then, and then what about that is like, okay, I, I'm so glad I, I learned that. And that was introduced to me and it shapes me, but I don't think I, I want to keep that value or that, um, approach, you know, because I, I think what, what I believe and what I want was good for me is something a little different, you know? So again, like, um, being in the complexity of it, cause it's not like just like a, okay, this is bad and terrible. This is also like part of who I am. But I, I see ways it's harmful. I see ways it doesn't serve me. I see ways it's not actually helping me um, achieve what I want to achieve and be happy, you know, and be fulfilled. Um, and I'm going to be really trying to like honor, you know, what's truer for me, what's truer for, you know, my family, you know, as an adult. I find in in my practice that some of those, like, I mean, of course, the, the parental views and expectations can be so strong and so powerful because, of course, they're in our ear and they're closest to us mm-hmm. when we're starting to understand ourselves and we're starting to understand the world. And so those messages can just go really deep and be, you know, just really inform um, who, we, who we think we are and what we think we need to do so to the point where there might be like a constant um, feeling of inadequacy if um, your life path is like a little different from what that message is. And so even if um, you feel strong enough and certain in your path, if you always have that in your ear that that's better, um, that's the better way, then you're, you might be very self-punishing or you might um, be kind of overstriving, mm-hmm. overachieving on your path to prove to yourself that it's okay to do what you do. In fact, you're the best at it um, because it, it might always be like a, you know, proving to yourself because you have like that, you know, fundamental belief system you're speaking to, but also like that externalized, like I'm going to show my, my parents, I'm going to show you know those people who, um, are disappointed that I'm 30 and I don't yet have, um, you know, I'm not yet married and I don't have kids yet, but I'm, um, you know, really successful in this uh, career path, you know, for example. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think like stepping back, taking the, the, you know, the bigger picture approach, looking at the ways this is really not helpful. Um, the ways that it can be, uh, you know, re reinforce um, some of the negative feelings and then where we kind of develop then the feelings about the feelings um, and, you know, what are, what are ways that I can, um, really, you know, look t- with, within to let that kind of be the guide and then be okay with the uncomfortable feelings that kind of come up when I'm listening to that too. See, this is why I love therapy because this self-awareness journey, like you need that therapist or external person there to kind of show you your blind spots mm-hmm. and help you reflect on moments of your life or parts of you that you don't have the self-awareness around. So I just love therapy. Yeah. Yeah, And I think, I think it's really, I think like when you said the binary, that is, is probably one of the most important things too, in the how to do this, because, because we um, just be so become so attached Mm -hmm. to like what that, that epitome is of success. And I think we see it, um, 
I, well, I mean, I see it definitely in New York and I think that New York is this very driven high, like high performing yes. kind of culture. So we see it, people like living their lives in, in that way in all parts of their lives or even, you know, a couple that will come um, for premarital therapy and they'll say like, we want to be the most successful couple. Like we want to be the best we can be. And then uh, like, this is amazing. It's beautiful. I want that couple. Like I want to work with a couple, um, couple um, but, but also it's like, um, but being in a marriage is, you know, also messy and, um, and also like vul vulnerable and we have to make mistakes so that we can learn about what's important to us. And um, so we have to be able to like uh, take a step back and say, it's, it's not just, you know, we have to be able to, to deal with the things that are uncomfortable to know better what we want to ask for mm -hmm. what we need and um it's going to take making mistakes and and um really kind of like dis disarming yourself from like that you know perfectionist um you know stance yeah it's almost like don't aim to perfect the person or the relationship but per perfect your practice right yeah so so i think um another another way i see perfectionism come up in the practice, of course, there's like the really we, we have this in New York, probably like the most um, high performing cultures when it when it comes to certain workplaces like law and in finance and yeah. also industries that are not that have not changed very much as far as like the very um, like Euro patriarchal epitome of like success of money. And so they're, you know, it's like hyper individualistic it's hyper competitive. It is like cutthroat. It mm -hmm. it is um, hyper make the most money, and it's all about making the most money because that money is what matters here, <laughs> you know. So so we see um, we see it in those industries, um, less so in some other industries. Like I think you know tech is definitely a lot a lot better. Um, some of the the bigger companies that have to like compete for talent, and some of the younger uh, generations, like not my generation as much as people um, in their twenties and thirties who who value whole being and value like of uh, the chance to live their their lives outside of work and not that be everything mm -hmm. um so i'm glad to see some of those industries like, making changes but it's also long way to say this it's also about so much about um, our connection with other people and our relationships and i see on every level um people with perfectionism who then uh, really struggle in just allowing them to be their full authentic selves in relationship to other people and so it might look a lot like i want to um look really perfect so i kind of look like i fit in i might want to um do all the right things or even like learn uh learn about a b and c topics which are going to come up in conversation so i can have the smart reflection or the smart question to ask and um it, you know it's very kind of driven by how like the outward appearance that mm -hmm. are other people going to uh, you know, experience me. And that if I, if I'm silly or goofy or like show them some part of who I am, then they won't like me. Um, and that, you know, they'll think I'm weird or awkward or, you know, something else. And so then, it, then the perfectionism becomes like this, you know, shield. It's like this false sense yeah. of self, self protection. And it's not going to say anything. I'm not going to rock the boat. You know, I'm not going to um, upset anybody. I'm not going to say the controversial thing or whatever that is. And, and it just ends up really distancing people, you know, like making them feel very lonely and isolated and um, not, you know, truly connected, you know, to people to, you know, wanting to be connected to people in their lives or want to have like real relationships that aren't, you know, just superficial and then not, and then ultimately not feeling known, you know, not feeling like understood. And I think that 
that can be a you yeah. know, really lonely, lonely place. And the irony being that I think perfectionism is often about, okay, if I just do this, then I will be the, approved of, you know, I will belong. And then yep. it, it, it ironically kind of does the opposite thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that has to be an exhausting way to live too. Yes, it, it is. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like kind of carrying around this, you know, this front and what happens is like a constant inner dialogue, you mm -hmm. know, that is like analyzing what it is that you're saying or what you're going to say next, or um, worrying about how you were perceived. And, and then yeah. also assuming, assuming that people are thinking, you know, something negative. Yeah. And then the last question I'll ask you before we move to some rapid fire questions is about acceptance, which in my opinion, I think acceptance is one of the most simple, but understated, but revolutionary concepts that people could leverage, but it seems hard to do, even though it seems so simple, but in the world of sports, I think it's almost impossible to find an athlete that has a Buddhist view of life where they just roll with the punches. They accept, oh, I lost. Okay. I accept it. I'm moving on. Right. Like athletes care so much about their performance, the culture values doing a good job so intensely. So it's hard to distance yourself from being so attached to the outcome. So I don't know if you have a view on that or if you have helpful advice for athletes to better roll with the punches, especially when things don't go according to plan, or if that's mm -hmm. even possible for elite athletes? Oh, that is such a good question <laughs> that I'm so glad that, that you asked this <laughs> because like there, it, because like, um, people think that to let go of perfectionism, they think that perfectionism is the thing that is helping them achieve. And so first we have to let go of that faulty belief system because it, it's not that thing that's helping us, us achieve. Um, but we, we have, we think it's complacency or I'm just going to give up on life. I'm, I'm just going to drop the ball. I'm just going to be basic, mm -hmm. you know, all, all these things. Like, is that what that means? And I think that's first of all, an extremely binary view that again, kind of goes back to that and it's not helpful. Um, secondly, it, it, when we don't accept the things, um, you know, that, that we do need to accept, then we're focusing our attention on the things that aren't serving us. And then we're, we're missing out on the things that we really can hone and we really can keep working on and, and then we, you know, learn from and get better is kind of like diverts us from that path of, you know, real authentic, you know, improvement or um, progress towards that goal in that way. So I think um, we have to be able to see that it's not, it's not complacency. In fact, it's um, objectivity. It's like the ability to say, what is my subjective mind telling me, but what, what is it in reality? What, what serves me and what doesn't serve me and, um, and how, and I know because what matters to me is my performance and excelling in this area. And if you're, a, you know, if you're a top athlete, if you're a division one athlete, it's so much of your life and it is important to you and it is attached to your value system. So then how do you really honor that? How, how does it look like when that thing you value, um, is a top, you know, thing that is important to you. How do you honor it? How do you kind of like also um, approach your, you know, work, your performance, your, your drive manifest so that it represents that which is important to you. 
you know, so I think, I think people need to say, uh, it's, it's not complacency. It's like, what am, what am I going to learn about myself? Because I'm willing to look at it honestly. You know, perfectionism is like, um, you know, dishonest, like we're, you know, this ideal that is unattainable and unachievable in many ways. And that if we really kind of say there's something that is really hard for me, but I'm going to keep going at it. And then I'm just going to punish myself like over, over and over and, um, yeah. and then try to make up for it and all, all the other things that we do instead say like, okay, I'm going to learn from that and say like, can I move on? Do I take a little bit of a different direction? Do I see this as like an opportunity, you know, for growth? Like that, um, you know, perfectionism in that way being a real block. Yeah. I think every person and athlete could leverage that advice. How can I grow from this when things didn't pan out? <laughs> How can I, how can I grow from this? Like what, what is the teacher here? That's, you know, I think a good question to ask, like, ouch, you know, I, I really feel this because, oh, it looks like I'm not perfect. It's, it's a self, it's a self-compassionate stance. Mm -hmm. Often people say, no, I have to keep punishing myself. I have to, cause otherwise I won't, I'll give, otherwise I won't work as hard. And, you know, really we don't find that with motivation in research, but um, really it's like, no, let's just, let's just be honest, you know, about like, truly look at your areas for growth and like mm -hmm. what it is that you, you are, you know, really good at. So I think um, it, it is like it, acceptance is the ability to kind of be, be honest in that real way with yourself. I love that. Okay. Now to end, we're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. Sure. So if you weren't a swimmer growing up, which sport would you choose? Uh, that's a good question. I did do cross country skiing for a season. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was that was a lot of fun. It wasn't fun for the people who are really good at it. It was fun for, for me <laughs> because I felt like I'm the swimmer and I, I don't have to like <laughs> I want to do this because it's fun and yeah. be outside and, and be with friends. And <laughs> so so um so that that's one. I think that's one sport I would do. And it, I mean like right Right now I, I do these like really cliche things like ride the Peloton and <laughs> mm -hmm. and do do yoga and do the things that are really accessible. But um but uh yeah, I, I would love to like play tennis. I would love to kind of get back into like more sports generally instead of these like things I do just to get a workout in and, and exercise. Yeah. If you ever come down to Atlanta, we can play some tennis. It's not yeah. there's so many tennis players in Atlanta. <laughs> it's crazy. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Another I know these are hard time. questions. They're like super, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to scan your whole brain. <laughs> yeah. I, I get a lot of good advice, man. I have to tell you, because the thing I joke about being a therapist is like selfishly to have like so many of my closest friends be therapists. I get like the best advice every day. That's I'm like, nice. I really That's selfishly just going to yeah, be, be a full-time <laughs> therapist and just get the best advice ever from the people who I surround myself with. Um, so, so I'd say like, yeah, the best advice is like become a therapist so you can surround yourself. With Honestly, no, 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 <laughs> but, um, but the thing is just like popped into my head was like when I was starting my practice and I was renting office space from, um, this, this wonderful architect and, um, she had like a, a suite and, and I was, you know, at the time just like worried about, is this going to take off? Am I going to be able to support myself? Am I going to be able to like really work for myself for a living? And I've had a lot of insecurities and self-doubt. And she just said, and she just, you know, a woman who was very um, 
into like she rented to other therapists she loved therapy and she just said she had this like calming presence and she just said when you build it they'll come and then i thought there's something about that that just seemed like that is about tell yourself that and they will you know that it is really so much about your mindset and about having that like belief in yourself so i would say that 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 was something that was significant when i was starting my practice that somebody said to me that kind of stuck with me yeah if you build it they will come i love that what gets you excited or where do you find purpose in life right now i'm i think just being you know starting my a career in social work is because it was so important to me to like to feel like i was you know doing a you know nine to five job even though of course it's like never what, what you think it is when you're getting started because <laughs> it's like it consumes you and becomes your whole life but um i really was driven um by like being you know just mission driven work you know so i think it was an easy pick for me i think i had to then um you know when i started this conversation, I talked a little bit about uh, the the unhealthy ways I was like attached to the idea of myself as somebody who is like more of a human doer rather than a human being, and that um, is only as good as like what I was able to do for others. So um, I had to work work to detach myself from some of that, but in a healthy way, um, I would say that um, I just feel very I just have a lot of gratitude for being able to do what I love, you know, every day as a therapist mm-hmm. and to be able to um, you know, continue to like cultivate and grow and support this team of therapists and um and to really kind of nurture them as they um, go out there and you know are the nurturers for their their clients and the people in their lives and um being in workplaces that didn't feel like that at all, uh, where there wasn't like that respect um to the people who are you know doing the hard work every day even though what it was they were doing was to be taking care of other people it was really important for me for that ethos to be a part of my practice and so it's something that i really derive a lot of uh, you know joy and um and just like fulfillment from like you know running a business that you know that i hope (laughs) that i think you know feels that way um in addition to like just being able to do do the work with uh, the clients that i love you know so much that's amazing and then last but not least, what is your life mantra if you have one? I guess if you build it, they will come is a good one. But do you have another yeah. what kind of phrase that you live by? Yeah, I would say like for for the thinking, there's a lot of, you know, little things that kind of help motivate me. And I'm sure that, you know, your your audience and, and the athletes in your life have a lot of those too. So I think I would say um, just the, you know, always asking myself, asking my clients like if there's something to get tattoo on my forehead is really like stepping back to look at the bigger picture and really asking yourself like what what is the the bigger story here you know we, we can tend to be very myopic and get very tunnel visioned um and then we forget what it's all about and mm-hmm. we forget what what's most important to us so that's that's what i would say that's awesome Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining us. This has been, I love this conversation about perfectionism. So this has been insightful, helpful, good for me to learn more insights from you. So thank you for your time and joining us today. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. And I really look forward to, um, you know, hearing this podcast as well as like tuning into your others and reading your book when it comes out. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Hopefully, you know, 2021 will be the year. So (laughs) yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, good.